Welcome in to the second edition of the Home Run Throwback Podcast. I am Jimmy Morris. Uh, we are doing this under the Broadway Sports Media umbrella, a new site that we just launched last week. If you haven't checked it out already, please go do that, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on there. Uh, obviously, a lot of Titans coverage, but everything national sports. We've got Predators coverage from John Glennon, from Christopher Martell. Uh, we've got soccer coverage from the Speedway soccer guys. Uh, just got them in at the end of last week, so we're really excited to have them there. So anything you need Nashville sports-wise, uh, we're going to have it there. So, again, that's broadwaysportsmedia.com. We have some cool promotions going on. So check that out. Um, sign up for membership. I promise you will not be disappointed. Uh, tonight, I am very happy to be joined by Chad Withrow of the Midday 180 and the man who has the best high school football coverage that you will find in Middle Tennessee. Chad, how are you tonight? I am doing very well, Jimmy, and congratulations on the new venture with Broadway Sports Media. You guys are absolutely killing it. And with all the acquisitions that you've already made, I'm, I'm starting to think that you're about to acquire me at some point uh, with all the mergers that are going on right now. So that's, uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, man. We can, we can talk about that, certainly. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, Chad and I are somewhat related. Uh, Chad's cousin is married to my sister-in-law. So um, that, that's, a, that's a pretty cool side deal there. Uh, just a few things we want to get into tonight as we get started with Titans training camp. Um, that'll get off and running this week. Um, it'll obviously be a different training camp than anything that we've seen before. So we'll get into a few Titans topics. But the first thing I wanted to start talking about was just kind of what the midday 180 has been for the last, you know, almost, I guess, five months now with there being no sports on TV. So sports talk radio show with no sports to talk about. Kind of walk us through what that process has been like for y'all. Well, first off, Jimmy, you and I are related like I'm related to Drew Maddox. Right, there you and, go. <laughs> uh, I, I will claim you the way that I claim Drew Maddox also. It's like married to uh, cousins. My first cousin, uh, Trent's sister, uh, who you're related to closely, your, I guess, brother-in-law, Correct. right? Yeah. Is Trent, yeah. who's his sister's married to Drew Maddox. Uh, yeah, it, anyway, they're my first cousins. <laughs> and what's funny is uh, your brother-in-law, Trent, his dad is my dad's identical twin. Right, yeah, yeah. So genetically, me and Trent are basically like half-brothers. <laughs> Uh, which is a good so we're basically like uh half cousins at this point jimmy is what i'm saying so (laughs) we we definitely are related um no it's so this whole time during the pandemic with no sports especially has been interesting for me to listen to people to watch what's gone on and there's been this vacuum right that's been created by no sports that's been filled in by social justice issues. You've seen a lot of different things that have happened during this time. And, and some good, I think some, some bad also. But th- to me, the ultimate separator of everything is those that will work and those that won't. And I am here to tell you that if you don't show up ready to work when there's no sports going on, when there's no NCAA tournament, when you're having to ask questions about the future of football every day, when there's no baseball, and not that we're a big baseball market or big baseball show on, on the midday 180, but still, you've got to get creative, and you got to give people something to hope for in the future. So I think our approach has always been, look, this is a 
This is a football town. I mean, you know this, Jimmy. You're a football guy. It's a football town. Titans reign supreme. And then after that, it's SEC football. It's Vols first. It's probably Alabama, your team second. It, you know, it's then it's uh, Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, sort of mismatch, Vandy, you know, all of that. So you have to hit all those things. And you have to talk about it all the time. And when you're not talking about that, you better be talking about something that someone wants to hear about, whether that be Tiger King on Netflix or Thank God for the Last Dance and Michael Jordan nostalgia and the 90s Bulls nostalgia that happened because ESPN put that and advanced it in their schedule where they played it earlier than they normally would. If you're not talking about those things, you're not going to be relevant and you're not going to give people a reason to be entertained. But I think more than anything is I'm a huge sports guy. And I feel the void of no sports, and the thought of a fall with no football drives me absolutely insane. And I know that I'm not alone with that. So whenever I'm talking to anyone on, on the Midday 180 or any podcast that I do, whatever's going on, I can relate to the guy that just really wants football to happen. No one here wants anyone to be sick or to have bad health or anything like that. But we also ultimately want football season to happen, right? And it's okay to admit that as well. And to show that that's what we want, that's what's going to happen with the NFL. I have no doubt about it. They will forge ahead. They are coming to all the agreements necessary to make sure they forge ahead. I'm excited for a Titan season. I hope that the SEC can play a full 12-game season. If not, let's at least get 10 games in with this uh, SEC-ACC Big 12 partnership. But, man, we need football season bad. But in this time with no sports, it's all about work and it's all about deciding that we're going to come up with something that people want to hear about, at least we hope. And in, and in part, it's what do we want to hear about? And you got to hope that that's something that everyone else, that your listener, if they're listening to you, maybe they like you a little bit, then maybe they want to hear about it as well. Yeah, and so one of the really cool things that y'all have done during this time is the Nashville history. Um, that, that's been something that I've really enjoyed. Um, and, and, you know, with walking through that, how did that – piece of your show come about so the first time i met david ewing who's our nashville historian was right after after the tornado edley's barbecue is our is our presenting sponsor um jonathan hutton has a relationship with the owner there hutton had followed the nashville i wish i knew on on instagram for a while so he met david ewing that way david ewing came out to our broadcast and we had a relief show for tornado relief at Edley's Barbecue, which, by the way, was basically wiped out, a big part of it. No power. We're on a generator the whole day. I mean, they, they felt it like everyone did in East Nashville and a lot of other places all over the state. So we're out there broadcasting, and David Ewing comes out, and he's telling the story of previous tornadoes that hit the city. And it was riveting. I mean, I was amazed by the guy's knowledge of everything that's happened in Nashville. So... Hutton and I started talking, and, and Paul Kuharski was, was talking with us as well. And we decided, you know, this is something that would be pretty cool, especially with everything going on. during. We, you know, this was, this was pre-pandemic. I feel like everything is like, you know, B.C., before Christ. Right. This yeah. is like uh, B.P., <laughs> before pandemic, when we're talking about this. So we're thinking this is a good off-season thing. And off-season, everyone knows, non-football season. Like once you get into football season, it's all business. You have something to talk about every day. But off-season, this would be pretty cool to discuss and have a history segment. Well, then, of course, the pandemic hit. And I think, I mean, honestly, that was kind of the perfect storm, no pun intended, 
of everything where, you know, the tornado happens, the pandemic happens. We were going to start that segment anyway in the offseason, but then there's no sports to talk about. So it gets a lot better uh, in, in that regard and going into these deep dives into Nashville history, like Percy Priest. You know, we know Percy Priest Lake growing up, but, you know, learning about J. Percy Priest, the congressman from uh, from David Ewing was was terrific. So I'm glad that you like it. And Jimmy, I hope our, our audience does as well. But that's really how that came about was following the Nashville I wish I knew on Instagram. Like you said, I mean, his knowledge of Nashville history is unbelievable. And the, the game that y'all play sometimes with the two degrees of separation or whatever it is, um, that's been really cool. The the stories about, you know, the Negro League baseball in Nashville. Um, it's just been cool to see how that ties together. Sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's not. But, I mean, that that guy has obviously done, I mean, who knows how much homework on the history of this city. Well, and he's so passionate about it. You know, he, he went to University School of Nashville, went to Vanderbilt. And he's been here his whole life. Um, it's just cool to to see someone that's got such a, I mean, it's his hobby for the most part, right? He has a lot of connections, but he's got his own in-house museum. He talked this week on our show about he's wanting to curate a, a civil rights museum in Nashville, which I think would be very cool. By the way, the Woolworth building would be a great spot for it. I know there's a restaurant there right now, but maybe a side room for a, a museum like that. Um, no, he's terrific and, and he knows his stuff and uh, we love having him on the show. And we love having him on so much, Jimmy, that we're considering having him on during football season, which, uh, you know, for us, normally would be blasphemy to go away from football at all. You know, we don't do one question, two answers, for instance, during football season. We'll do primary complaint because that's, that's part of the ethos of our show. But we won't do a lot of things like that, but he's been so good for us that we're considering it. Yeah. Well, that, that's been great. And so you, kind of with that in mind, um, I mean, you're like me. I, I think we're pretty similar in age. Uh, grew up in Nashville. Are you blown away with the way that this city has changed in the last, let's say, I mean, even 10 years, but thinking back to like when we were in high school and that kind of stuff, just the way that the city has changed and the sports market that it's become? It's it's unbelievable. Um, you know, when we were in high school, I remember I went to Mount Juliet. I know you went to Lipscomb. But we would go downtown from Mount Juliet. We'd go to Sbarro on yeah. 2nd Avenue. And we'd go to Laser Quest, right? right? That was the thing for high school kids to do. And that was it. I feel like that was all of Nashville. Like, Nashville was 2nd Avenue. You'd see Broadway and some of the neon signs. But for me as a high school kid in the late 90s, mid-late 90s was, you know, Nashville is 2nd Avenue and Sbarro and Laser Quest. Then you look around now, and I remember even out of college, this is 2004, 2005, me and my buddies – in our early 20s, we'd go to a place called Bar 23, if anyone remembers that. And we thought this was like the most trendy L.A.-type bar, Manhattan-type bar in Nashville. And it was sort of this underground thing, didn't have a label to it. It was in the Gulch, which was this new up-and-coming area, which at the time was nothing but a few warehouses and maybe one condo complex. And you go into this place, man, this place is awesome. God, Nashville's really on the rise. This is terrific. I lived in 12 South in a house with four other guys out of college. This this house is probably worth $1.7 million now. We paid $400 a month <laughs> to live in this house between five guys. It was an old historic house right across in the park in between 12th Avenue and Belmont Boulevard. We could run to Belmont to Curb Event Center where we were. Terrific neighborhood. We walked to Mafiosa's on Tuesday night. 
And that was the Nashville we knew. And this was, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And to look at it now, you know, there are 75 bar 23s in Nashville, for instance, uh, most of which I've never been to. Uh, probably like you, never been to these places. But that was the coolest place in the world in 2005. And now I look around and there's so many of these places all over Nashville. It's incredible to see the sports market. We have an MLS team now, obviously. You guys are covering it at, at Broadway Sports Media. The way the Titans, you know, the Titans have grown, but it's been an interesting growth. Like It was so much bigger and more concentrated in the late 90s with that success when they landed here. But it's still grown since then. The Predators and going to the Stanley Cup final, all of that. It's been amazing to watch sort of the tapestry of the city really grow and expand out. And it's become a completely different place from not just when we were in high school in the 90s, but when I was out of college in the mid-2000s and in my early 20s. It's, it's a totally different place now. It's been really cool to see. There's some good and bad with it. But I think it's obviously, for the most part, mostly good that comes with this. And that's what's been exciting for me about this last Titans run that hopefully they're just beginning. Um, but you, you, like you said, when, when, the, when they first came here in, in 99 was the first thing they were the Titans. And they went to the Super Bowl. And this city was just, I mean, crazy for the Titans. You know, it was, you couldn't get tickets. I mean, it, it was crazy. And then they went through that, <laughs> the wandering in the desert so to speak, few years there, and the Predators came in, and we almost lost the Predators, and then they got good, and it was it was fun to see how much this city rallied behind them. But this last playoff run with the Titans, seeing the city come back to being a Titan city, that's been really fun, and I mean, I think that's it's good for the city overall, for the Titans to be good, for the national scene, so to speak, to see what this city can do when the teams are good and and the fans here are behind them so that run with the preds was magical right i mean you you were around that too and it was it was great it was a, a two and a half month long siege on the city with all those home playoff games but i still remember and look i'm a football guy i love the preds i, I like hockey okay but i love the preds i love that run but i'm sitting there with a buddy when the stanley cup finals happening and i'm thinking can you imagine if we're hosting an AFC championship game or if there's a Super Bowl being played and the Titans are in it now the way the city is. And if you can think about that and how amazing this place would be in, in late January, hosting the AFC championship game downtown Nashville, and if it's the late afternoon game and people are out at bars beforehand, it would be terrific. I was up in Kansas City for the AFC championship game, and it's really cool to be in a place like that with that diehard fan base and in that city in the weekend leading up to it. There's a big snow, snow and ice storm on that Friday. But leading up to that and seeing that city, I'm thinking Nashville is so much better of a place than Kansas City. Not that the fan base is better. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to insult any Chiefs fans out there. Chiefs fans are great. Terrific fan base. But when you saw that set up, I'm thinking if the Titans could have home playoff games like this, and we saw it with that television run, right? There were, I mean, there were tons of fans in Kansas City. We, there was a bar packed for the Titans party we broadcast from that, that Saturday night before the, uh, the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. Don't get me wrong. Tons of Titans fans made the trip. But imagine hosting that game in Nashville and what it would look like. It really did blow my mind. And it opened my mind to this huge group of Titans fans that were so desperate for a run like that and so starved for it that they were willing to spend so much money 
to drive up to Kansas City or try to fly in an ice storm to go there to witness that game to what they thought could be history. Hey, we don't have a lot of chances to go to the Super Bowl. Let's go to this game and witness our team go to the Super Bowl. It was it was awesome, Jimmy. I mean, it, it was it was cool to see. You're right, the city united behind it. You know, I was at the game, but I recorded the CBS Open with the Don't Stop Believing with the Nashville artist, I think, singing it and the way they were going back and forth with both cities in Kansas City and Nashville. Gave me chill bumps. And it gave me chill bumps thinking about the Titans being one of the last four teams in the NFL. It also made me yearn for being one of the last two teams, you know, playing in a Miami or somewhere like that for a Super Bowl. But it, it was a great run, and it really did show just the power, I think, of Nashville and, and what this what this city could be with an even deeper run for the Titans. So as we sit here recording this on July 23rd, um, it seems like things with, especially college football, I mean, the NFL, I think we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen there. Like you said, they're in talks. They're going to get all that stuff figured out. The college football season is very much still up in the air on what's going to happen. If you were advising the SEC or, you know, the, the group of conferences, like you said, that, that could come together to make this happen, what would your recommend, recommendation be on what they should do in the midst of this pandemic? So my recommendation would be to factor in everything. Okay, this is my huge chief concern with everything in the country right now. We only make decisions based on one issue. If it's social justice, if it's COVID-19, whatever it is, whatever the moment entails, that's where we make decisions. And it's only based on that. We have to be multi-layered in how we make decisions. You know, Dan Wolken and some other people had issues with with Greg Sankey's interview on on uh, HBO Real Sports, and I'm thinking he sounded completely rational to me. I mean, let, let's ask the question: Where are college kids that are college football players? And let's be honest about the demographic of college football players for a second. We're talking about a lot of low income families and a lot of kids from bad environments. Single parent homes, not all of them. I don't want to say that, every, you know, throw a blanket over the whole state of college football, but that's in these situations, that's a lot of time the case. Are they better off staying at home in the midst of a pandemic? And like Greg Sankey said, going to work out at their home gym, being around their grandmother who may be raising them, being around their parents who may be at risk, or are they better off around other healthy young people playing college football in a more controlled environment? with great medical staff on hand, with all these protocols in place. I mean, let's ask that question. That is not insensitive to ask that question. I understand that people are going to be cynical about it because they say, oh, well, that's convenient because then the SEC makes money and then the, the Big 12 makes money. That's fine. Ultimately, those groups want football because they want revenue, and that's fine too. It's America. It's a capitalist society. We're okay with making money. But let's factor in all of that. And I just look at it and I think, we should be playing football this fall. And I'm okay with the SEC holding out hope for a 12-game season. I know that it's not going to be 100% fans of the game. You're not going to see 100,000 fans at Neyland. You're not going to see 95,000 fans in Tuscaloosa for a game. But I do think that there is hope for a full 12-game season. And I think if the SEC plows ahead with this, then they decide, hey, the numbers are either static in terms of it. There's no huge spike or they start to go back down a little bit, I think that their their intention is to keep with the schedule they have and play a 12-game season, and football fans out there should rejoice in that if that happens. Now, 
What do I ultimately think happens? I think it's going to be a 9 or 10 game season. I'm hoping against hope it's going to be 12, but I think it's going to be 9 or 10 games. But I also am hoping the SEC waits until the last possible minute to decide what to do because these things can change and you have to factor in everything. Certainly COVID-19 should be a factor in your decision. It can't be the only factor in your decision. Yeah, and that's what I've appreciated from what I've heard your stance on all of this is, like you said, there there's so many other considerations that go in than just the, you know, the pandemic that's going on. And I mean, all of life is about risk. You calculate your risks on everything that you do every day. And so I, like, I'm with you. I hope that they hold out as long as they possibly can and then do what's best with everything considered. There's been talk of football being shifted to spring that makes zero sense to me. Do you think there's any way that happens? Well, and, and following up on your other point also, Jimmy, you know, HBO Real Sports had this piece. So 8% of college football players have tested positive for COVID-19 compared to what they said. The estimate is 2% of college-age people have tested positive in America. So that's four times the amount. So that's a very dramatic thing. Four times the amount. So right. 8% of college athletes. To my knowledge, zero of those college football players have been hospitalized. Most have been asymptomatic, okay? So talking about risk, okay? Playing football, if they were having full contact practice right now, do we think that we would have had at least one or two players hospitalized with injury from playing football in practice? Absolutely. That would have broken a leg or torn an ACL or something else? Yeah, happens every so, year. That, that sounds insensitive to so many people, which is ridiculous because it's an actual – this is what happens when you play football. I understand the risk of getting COVID-19 and taking it to your grandparents, for instance. No one wants that. But, I mean, you have to factor in all of these decisions with everything that you do. So that's what I thought when I watched the HBO Real Sports piece. Now, in terms of a spring season, it's the last thing the SEC wants. And, and talking to people around the conference and, and talking to people at Tennessee specifically, they do not want that. They want to put on a television product this fall. If there are zero fans there, they are going to take a bath in revenue. They're going to lose money. But they can negate a lot of that by just keeping the television times with ESPN and all of their contracts, CBS, everyone else. If they can keep those times and make that television money, they can negate a, a big part of their loss and stay afloat until 2021, until hopefully things are better. It's a total grab bag in, in the spring. You've got college basketball considerations. You've got NBA considerations. You've got so many things going on at that time that's different from the fall that it would be, it'd be a big-time issue. So I, I think you know, ultimately the hope is they can do something this fall, even if it's a 9- or 10-game season. Well, and don't you think if they do shift to spring, you're going to see a lot of players that are guys that are going to go high in the NFL draft. They're going to sit out, right? I mean, because when you're talking about the turnaround between that, the NFL draft and all that stuff, I, I think if they do that, you're going to see a very diluted product versus what you would see even with no fans in the fall. Oh, no doubt. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. I mean, if I'm their agent, if I'm their Coach, parents, honestly, right, yeah. Parents, coach, and and I'm and I'm doing what's best for them. I'm saying you don't need to play this February to May season or whatever it may be. Go get ready for the draft. Go sign with an agent. Um, it's going to be a big problem. I think at Tennessee specifically, you know, this is. 
I can't recall a time since the late 90s, early 2000s, where Tennessee's had an offensive line this powerful with this much potential. And if they suspend this season to, to spring, Trey Smith's not playing. Cade Mays, who's not even technically eligible yet to play at Tennessee, probably isn't playing. Brandon Kennedy, a sixth-year senior, may not play. So you've got two sophomore tackles that were true freshmen here, go five-star prospects. They're going to play, but it completely guts the potential of that offensive line. That's just at Tennessee with not nearly as many pro prospects as, let's say, Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, where you may lose eight to 12 guys, right, that are going to opt to just go ahead and get ready for the draft at that point. So it's a big problem in so many ways. And I just think there's going to be football played this fall. They're going to forge ahead in some way. Story came out about Texas. You know, they're sending the the email out to all of their season ticket holders saying, we plan on having 50% capacity in all 12 games. That's the most optimistic view I've seen of everything. But in a perfect world, that happens at some point this year with the SEC. I don't think you have to make a declaration also that everything, that, that it's going to be this way all year. You could make a month-long declaration. Hey, 25% fans, right, for the first month. And maybe things will change if the numbers get better. If they don't, then it's going to change the other way. But I think that's very optimistic of Texas. But my hope is even if it's no fans, you get a full season in. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, um, we at Music Miracles ran a Titans media approval poll last year. And I think that you might have had the lowest rating of anybody that we, of uh, the people that we threw up there. And granted, a lot of them are, you know, Titans media people and that kind of stuff. So, of course, they were going to rate well. But you came in with a 46% approval poll, which was significantly lower than Paul Kuharski, who seems to be, I, I guess, the most polarizing figure on your show. What are your thoughts on why that approval poll was so low for you? So was this to all of your readers and, and listeners, or yeah, was this just to, to the media? It was. So this was to everyone, right? Correct. Yeah. So who all was included? Was it like every? How many? How many people? Just give so me a, we a, had. A uh, let's see, ten probably. And okay. like I said, the majority of them are you know Jim Wyatt, Mike Keith, Dave right. McGinnis. Obviously, so those guys are going to poll really well. Well, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you guys would poll well if you put yourself in there because it's your site. So I and I I would agree with that. I'll also say this. I'm not really Titans media, so I'm not there every day. So I I would not expect to be high on the list of Titans fans in terms of Titans media. I'm not Paul Kuharski, who's a beat writer, you know, covering the team for his own website. I'm not uh, Teresa Walker, who covers the team for the AP, or uh, Joe Rexroad. I don't know if he's on there, but, you know, he's there every day at practice. I'm not that type of media member uh, for sure, so I'm not – exactly the same as them i'll also say this though because i'm not the same as them jimmy i think part of the reason that i would i would favor so low with your audience is that i'm not there every day so i don't really have to answer to anyone for the titans right i'm not in the locker room seeing guys i'm not talking to coaches or gms all the time i'm not jonathan hutton who works for the team with titans radio i'm not Dave McGinnis, who works the team, or Mike Keith, who works the team, who's always going to give you the sunny side of everything. Jonathan Hutton doesn't do that. The other guys do. They're employees of the team. So my job on the show a lot of the time is to play devil's advocate with Paul 
who may defend, uh, let's say, a John Robinson on something I disagree with, okay? Or a Hutton who disagrees with something. So naturally, I'm going to be the Hollywood Hogan heel of the show. I think that lends itself to my disapproval with your audience. Does that make sense to you, of what I'm saying? It does, and that brings up a larger point that I think we've seen a shift, and I don't know the the exact time frame of this, but don't you feel like people, if you're a Titans fan, you only want to hear the sunny side of things. And so when someone like you who may even just say, okay, well, what about this, kind of bring devil's advocate, however you want to say that, don't, don't you feel like that maybe 10 years ago, the media was viewed a little bit differently and that you expected to have more of a balanced approach, whereas now, and you see it all over the place, politics, whatever, people gravitate towards the people that are saying what they want to hear. Well, we had a huge topic on this on the Midday 180. And you, you're really hitting on something here that, that really that I think about a lot. What do people really want, right? We always talk about journalism with a capital J. Do you really want something right down the middle? Do people really want just the news? Do they want just the facts? But if those facts don't line up with their worldview, they're going to be mad about it. So what they really want is someone who agrees with them, which then lends it to, and you guys are going to be dealing with this at at your website. I guarantee it. Do you just want opinion? Do you just want to go read someone who's like you, maybe similar in age, similar in taste, likes the Titans a lot, that's going to talk about that as much? This is the dilemma of everyone in media right now. I personally hate, uh, especially a major broadcast, being any, any type of homer at any point. I get the, I understand, you know, I'm a Burt Bertelkamp fan, all right? Tennessee basketball, I got a huge homer. But it's more entertainment to me, right? I know what he is at that point. I hate people who say we on air when they talk about the, the team or that act like cheerleaders for the teams. And I'm not that guy. And I, I've never really been that guy with the Titans. And I'm a Titans fan. I want them to do well. I grew up here. I've, I'm, I'm a Titans fan. But, yeah, I, I don't really get behind that as much. But there's also a part of it that you have to understand what do people want. And I think what Titans fans want, you're, you're dead on right. They want someone who agrees with them that's going to give them the sunny side up on the team and not always tell them, you know, what they don't need to know. I think Paul Koharski is a little bit different in that he can give you the negative approach, but he's been around it so long that fans don't care. They almost want, it's like the vegetables, right? With the dessert. They want the Paul Koharski. He's the vegetables to what they want with the Titans coverage. So I think he's a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, I think most people want what they want. Vols fans are, you know, some of the worst at this. And I'm, I'm a Vols fan. I went to UT. But they want what people are saying that's positive about their program. If they go after them or they're the least bit negative, they're going to attack them at, at any point. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some truth to that. I think I probably fall with the Titans in that category. Hey, I'm not there all the time, so whatever. There are going to be media members who don't respect that. I'm, I've got a show, first off, during practice, so I can't be there. But that's going to be part of it as well. I'm not really, you know, hardcore Titans media like other people. I'm the first to say that also. But I'm also the guy on the show that's going to play devil's advocate with certain things because those guys are so close to it. Do you all have conversations about stuff like that? I mean, you walk this line, right, of you want people to listen to your show, but you want to keep that authenticity and being able to say – 
how you see things. I mean, I think that ultimately that should be what we want is somebody who has an informed opinion. You want it to be informed. But do you ever walk that line of maybe I shouldn't say this because it's going to make this, you know, section of the, of the fan base, whatever fan base it is, it's going to make them angry? Jimmy, I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I am so happy to say this. We never have discussions about what we're going to talk about and with our opinions, right? There's yeah. never like a pre-planned meeting of, all right, Paul, you're going to go against Tennessee here, and then I'm going to go for Tennessee, and then Hutton, you're going to play. It's never that. It is, it is honestly, and people are going to think I'm lying, it is 100% authentic. I'll give you an example. You know, on, on the show, we're recording this on, what is it, July 20th? 23rd. July 23rd, sorry. I'm way off on the date. <laughs> so it's July 23rd. July 20th was a great day also, but it's July 23rd. So today on the show, you know, we opened, we were talking about Paul's shower habits, all right? And he <laughs> yeah. hasn't showered. He doesn't shower for three days sometimes, which is absurd, by the it way, is. for a grown man or anyone. That's I mean, kids are forced to take a shower before three days. It's, it's absurd. I don't care if you're at home and not working out or whatever. But anyways, that bleeds into Paul going completely off the cliff and saying, if you support a college football team, you're a child because you should graduate to a pro team and not care about your college or your college football team. To which that makes Paul look so bad. To what, 95% of our audience? So I'll go after Paul in that opinion. And he backs down a little bit at that point, which is understandable. But my point here is that I appreciate the fact that Paul said what was on his mind at that point and did not worry about our listeners being mad at him. So that was 100% genuine. I disagree with him. I don't like it, but it's genuine. And I, I do appreciate some of that. So there's no like preconceived arguments we're going to have. We know in a text chain, we'll be really quiet if someone says something that we someone else knows they disagree with. Okay, let's talk about that is kind of the response, right? Oh, you have that opinion on it? I'm not going to give you my opinion out. Let's save it for on air. And then just say, yeah, let's br bring that up at 1215, for instance, would be the response. And then we'll get into it. But there's no, hey, you take this side, I'll take this side, and then we'll go at it. That doesn't happen. At least on our show, it doesn't happen. Other shows, maybe, maybe it happens, not on ours. Yeah, and I think that's what makes y'all's show so good is that everything is authentic. You know, there's no, you know, you can watch PTI, for instance, and, and you can tell when one person is taking a side just to have a discussion. And I think that, I think some people like that, but I think what's made y'all's show as good as it is, is y'all are just saying what you think. And, and I do think that we need more of that in today's media than either, you know, we're all Homer here or I'm going to take this side just so we have a good discussion. And I think, again, that's what makes y'all's show good is that y'all have your opinions and you bring them and you have conversation around them. Um, that to me is we, we need more of that in media today. So in what you guys are doing with Broadway sports media, what is the, and I, I saw the caption, it's like smarter analysis for smart fans, something like that. Yeah. Did I get it right, Jimmy? Yeah, something like right. that. That's it. That's a, that's a smart approach because I'm a firm believer in this smart will always win at the end of the day. And I think that when you placate your audience and you treat them like they're dumber than they are, ultimately that will backfire. Now, you are going to appeal to a small percentage of people that are really dumb. And when they hear their dumb opinions praised on air, 
they're well, I'm I'm really glad that my dumb opinion was they don't they don't know they're dumb. That's the beauty of dumb people, right? They don't know they're <laughs> dumb. But when their dumb opinion is praised on air, then they think, oh my gosh, that was so smart that I've that I said that about the Titans or the Vols or Alabama or whoever it may be. And I just think it's totally phony when you do that. I mean, you don't have to be cruel to people or be mean for no reason when someone's being nice to you, but you have to be honest. And if someone calls into our show with a bad opinion or if someone tweets us, we're going to rip them. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's what the forum is about, right? That's what the internet's about. That's what our show's about. It doesn't mean that you're being hateful or anything else. It means you're being honest with someone. And what I love about that is if someone calls in with a really bad call, and I was just to say, hey, man, great call. Thank you so much for listening to Midday 180. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for that beautiful insight you just laid down on us. Then 80% of our audience that's smart is thinking, God, Chad Withrow is a moron. How does Chad Withrow think that that guy was a smart call? And I just think that's not the way to go because you're betraying a large portion of your smart audience when you placate to the lowest common denominator. So that was, and that's kind of a something we talked about early on in our show that we had to be honest and that we had to go after callers that were bad and we had to engage the people that way because there's a silent majority out there. You know, such a small percentage of our show will ever call in. And honestly, a small percentage will ever tweet us or Facebook us or Instagram us or whatever. So you know that going in. So you have to talk to that silent majority and understand that they know what you're talking about and you don't have to treat them like idiots and you don't have to treat the idiots like they're smart just to make that one idiot feel good. And that's kind of the beauty of our show, I think, in a lot of, at least I hope in a lot of ways, is that we can be somewhat honest to our very smart callers. Yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting for us because right now it's easy to be a Titans website, right? I mean, the arrow's pointing way up. Um, They've made so many smart moves with players. Amy Adams-Strunk has made so many good hires in the front office. And so for the first time in, it feels like, I I don't know, 10 years, it seems like the Titans are an organization that is almost a model for what an NFL organization should be. So it's easy now to, to, you know, to talk about that. But that's when I think it'll get really interesting to see how, how good we are, how good or how informed the fan base is when things start you know, going bad. How do you treat that? So when things are things are going bad, sorry, you cut out there for a second. Sorry. When things are going bad, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's um, like, here's the thing about the Titans or football in general. You know, there are other sports where uh, the Preds, for instance, well, when they're bad, you can just kind of turn it off and we just won't talk about it, right? You just kind of put it away and no one wants to hear about it, talk about it, whatever it may be. Basketball season's that way. You know, if uh, Vanderbilt basketball is really bad, no Vanderbilt fan wants to hear about it. If Tennessee basketball is bad, no Tennessee fan wants it. They can just dismiss it. But when football is bad, Titans or Vols or SEC level, that's all anyone's talking about. It, it's just like when they're good. So you have to address it the same way. Hey, why are they bad? Are the players are underperforming? Is coach making bad decisions? GM been bad. Let's discuss what's happened. Is it bad luck? I mean, I, I do think that there's a certain degree of luck in sports, right? The injuries. You can have bad fortune happen in a game. You have to address that, too. That's not making excuses. That's just saying the way it is. But 
I mean, when things are bad, we, we handle it the same way that when things are good. I mean, it's just it's the honest reaction to what happened. Tennessee loses to Georgia State this year. I'm at a buddy's house watching with 10 other guys. You think I was happy about that? <laughs> I mean, that's as down as I've been watching a football game in a long time because I was very excited about year two under Jeremy Pruitt. I'm thinking the season's over. I mean, you're one game in. You're watching uh, games that night, and you're thinking, well, my team season is literally over on the first weekend of the season, and then that that happens to BYU the next week, and you're thinking, it's over. And you realize after a six-game winning streak that, hey, it wasn't all that bad. Maybe it's not the end of the world. But guess what? That Monday after Tennessee-Georgia State, it's the end of the world. And that's how you have to treat it because at that point, that's what it was when you lose a game like that. So we just you just have to be honest with it. Yeah, and so pivoting to the Titans there, um, like I said, I mean, there's there's obviously so much good to talk about. I, I think the Titans still have a couple of key issues that they haven't addressed. And again, we're recording this on July 23rd. It's not going to drop until Monday. So Jadavion Clowney may be a Titan by the time this comes out. But as we sit here right now with the moves that the Titans have made this offseason, have they done enough, in your opinion, to stay in that conversation of making another run at the AFC Championship? possibly making a run of the Super Bowl. H- had they done enough this offseason to fix the, the issues that they had last year? Had they done enough to win a playoff game and possibly get to an AFC championship game? Yes, because it's sort of status quo. Had they done enough to be considered a Super Bowl contender? No. And, and Jadavion Clowney, he's not the best player in the league, but he is a piece that the Titans have lacked. So for me to say... This is a team that could win a Super Bowl. They got to get Jadavion Clowney. I, I think it's that simple. And and for this reason, look, Jarrell Casey was up in years. I, I get it. I, I know why they made the move, but you're worse without Jarrell Casey. Th- there's no way around it. You are a worse football team when you lose him. So how do you replace him? I know Big Jeff's coming along. I like the Christian Fulton dr- uh, draft pick. Loved it, by the way. Isaiah Wilson, questionable to me questionable he may be the greatest you know road mauling right tackle in nfl history but right now questionable with a first round pick but the fact that christian fulton was there in the second round great pick darrington evans immediate upgrade uh, over Deion lewis from a year ago so i like where they are at certain spots and where they've replaced guys uh jonathan joseph i think could be a great value guy there also but losing jerell casey you're bringing back Tannehill and Henry who were here already. It's good to have them long-term, but they were here already. I just think, Jimmy, to add that element, you got to have Clowney, right? I mean, that gives you – we talk about this with Coach Mack all the time. Front multiplicity. If you're going to have options, whoever the, the play caller is, which I'm guessing it's Brable at this point, but you lose Dean Pease, which is a huge loss. That's another one that not a lot of people are talking about, but Dean Pease, huge loss. So if you're going to lose him – you're losing Jarrell Casey. You're losing Logan Ryan. Delaney Walker was pretty much done at that point with injury and everything else. So not a huge loss from last year to this year. But just looking at the team, yeah, I think it takes a clowny for me to say they could go win the Super Bowl. Now, could they get hot? Could they go 10-6 and six or 9-7 and seven and win a playoff game or two and get hot and maybe make it to the AFC Championship game again on the road? Yes, they could do that with this roster right now. But if you expect me to say they can beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and get to a Super Bowl, it takes Clowney for me to say that. 
And obviously the big news in the last week has been the Derrick Henry contract extension. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate around about paying running backs. Where did you come down on that deal? So this is where I feel like I'm being disingenuous because when I thought they were going to franchise tag him, I'm saying to myself, this is a great move for the Titans. This is what John Robinson should do. It's it's a, a fiscally sound move. You don't want to you know offer up the long-term contract to the running back. So I was all for it. And then honestly, when I saw the deal for four years and what they're paying him, and it's 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 fractions more over two years than if you if you tried to franchise him over that time, it's the rare deal that really works out well for the Titans both ways. I thought I was right at the time to franchise him, and then when I look at that contract, I think it's this is a great deal for the Titans, and it's good for Derrick Henry. He could have gotten more. I think that the Titans definitely won that negotiation. There's no doubt about it. But I also understand with the uncertainty with, with the pandemic and with everything else that the guy wants to get paid guaranteed money right now. You know, where he is in his career, he wants to get paid right now. And he did. He got that. He didn't get McCaffrey money, but he got money right now, right away, more than he was making. So it's good for Derrick Henry. It's good for the Titans. I, I love the deal. And I, I love the franchise tag also. But honestly, when I saw that that contract, I think it's great for both sides. And then the other deal, obviously, they made this offseason was re-signing Ryan Tannehill. And when you see I, the number initially, you know, people freaked out, and national media people especially that only watched the Titans in the playoffs, um, you know, were saying, why would you give this guy all of this money when it was Derrick Henry that was the whole team? But where would you come down on that deal? <sighs> Man. This is where this is probably why I've got a 46% approval rating <laughs> with Titans fans. Is I'm, what I'm about to say right now. Um, Ryan Tannehill was awesome this past year. Ryan Tannehill, based on his career, and I know there's injury issues, there's multiple offensive coordinators, everything else. It is impossible for me, as a rational human being, to expect him to repeat this past year, this next season, and the season after that especially. Maybe he replicates some of the magic this year for some of the year. But to expect that in a long-term deal, I'm not buying it. I'm just not. I do think it's a good marriage with him and Arthur Smith. It's a great marriage with Derrick Henry in the backfield and that offensive line, and that's still going to be there for the most part, minus Jack Conklin. But no, I'm not buying Ryan Tannehill as the long-term option. For the Titans, I'm just not. Look, you have to sign him. I'm not. John Robinson did what he had to do. That's your quarterback right now. He was great. You'd be a fool not to sign him and lock him up. But I also am not going to be doing backflips over the prospects of Ryan Tannehill and what we saw in Miami and what we saw in a partial season here in Nashville as the guy that's going to lead your franchise for the next half decade. All right, last thing before we let you get out of here. By the way, my, my approval percentage just went down to 53% <laughs> just, just with that right there. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you've obviously gotten to do a lot of cool stuff being, you know, in your job and that kind of stuff. What's the one thing that if you would have told, let's say, you know, 12-year-old Chad Withrow, what's the one thing that you've gotten to done, that you've gotten to do that has just been, you know, just the coolest thing for you? I mean, I think – you know, gosh, there's there's a lot, honestly. That's a that's a difficult question. Going to the Super Bowl every year is awesome. 
So, you know, sitting down with, and I'm a huge movie guy, you know, so um, sitting down with an Adam Sandler, for instance, would be, uh, if I, you told 15-year-old Chad watching Billy Madison or SNL at that time that I'm going to sit down with Adam Sandler and we're going to be in that moment equals, you know, or Jeff Goldblum you know, interviewing him uh, and Bill Pullman and Liam Hemsworth from the cast of the Independence Day sequel. Things like that really stick out to me more than anything else. And just, I mean, I'm trying to be on their level. I know that I'm not, but you know, you're trying to be cool and you're trying to be, okay, I'm the, I'm the professional doing the interview, but things like that are really cool to me. Meeting Joe Namath was amazing to me. You know, read books on Joe Namath as a kid. Um, you're a big Joe Namath guy, I'm sure. You're an Alabama guy, so you, so you love him also. Just moments like that is, is I mean, I, I pinch myself. At times when I get to do things like that on, on Super Bowl Radio Row and and I love it. And I'm I'm really I mean truly thankful for it that I get an opportunity to do things like that. And um, you know, I, I grew up like a lot of people around here. You know, my grandmother lived next door to me and uh, my parents worked for a living. They'd leave the house. I'd go to my grandmother's house every day as a kid. I'd watch Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick four or five straight times on Sports Center. So I learned how to be a sports broadcaster by just watching those guys over and over again. The same episode, right? Remember yeah. Sports Center? There's oh, yeah. no programming. Same Sports Center over and over. I'd eat Pop Tarts. I'd eat S'mores Pop Tarts, which were new at the time, every day. Put butter on them, throw them in the microwave, eat those, drink a glass of milk, and watch Sports Center over and over. And then having a chance to meet some of the guys I watch on those Sports Center. I remember going to an event with Dan Patrick and his show. Um, you know, we got to know McLovin really well because Paul had a connection with him with the Ivy Leagues because I think he went to Dartmouth and Paul went to Columbia and they had a nice rivalry about that. And just standing there and drinking a beer with Dan Patrick, you know, and talking about his show and it just as nice as he could be with us in Phoenix one year at the Super Bowl. I mean, I really think it's moments like that, both on air and off air. You know, that was an off air moment, but both really stick out to me. It's It's tough to pin down one of them, but... I think just living, you know, having a chance to go and be in situations that I never dreamt I would be in, to me, is probably top of the line. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's really fun. And that's, that's what, again, what I think makes y'all show as good as it is, is that every one of those interviews that y'all do on Super Bowl, because you can listen to some shows and they bring up a guy and they don't even really know what to ask that guy. But being plugged in like y'all are to so many things, I think that's what makes y'all so entertaining to listen to. And again, especially during this time where we haven't had sports to talk about. Well, so a great, great story, Jimmy, about the, if, if I may, yep. with the, uh, the Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, Liam Hemsworth interview. So Hutton and Paul know that I'm the, the pop culture guy on the show. So we only have so many mics. We're in San Francisco at the Super Bowl. Got this set up through a, a guy we know, through John McClain, Chip Namius who is walking these guys around. He represents some of these Hollywood actors that come through. We interviewed two actors from Top Gun Maverick this year in Miami, for instance, through Chip. So Chip is walking them around. Paul and Hutton can see, Chad, you've got this. We only have four mics. You're going to have all three of these guys, Liam Hemsworth, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman. So the time is coming. We're in a break, and they get there early. Okay, so these guys sit down, and there is an area for fans to walk through and watch Radio Row. So everyone, there are teenage girls coming up to take pictures of Liam Hemsworth, right? One of the Hemsworth brothers. At the time, dating Miley Cyrus, I believe. So they're going up and taking pictures and doing all this. 
Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, two older guys, could not have been nicer. We're talking, hey, guys, give me three or four minutes. You know, I'm, and I'm trying to s- start a conversation with them. So how's your day going? It's been wild, and you know, they're nice as can be. Liam Hemsworth has no interest in talking. And I kind of get it, honestly, because everyone's taking a picture of him. So he puts the headphones on. He's looking at his phone, looking down the whole time, no interest in talking. The moment the interview starts, he's great. Turns it on immediately, he's talking to me. But I remember there was a moment where I turned to Bill Pullman, who, by the way, plug, I'm not getting paid by them, but you should watch the show, The Center on USA, stream it, do whatever. He's great on that show. So Bill Pullman, who plays the president in the Independence Day movies, I turned to him and I said, when you're playing the president, do you watch former presidents to get in a presidential mode and are you actually mimicking one of those presidents or are you just acting presidential as you think presidential should look? And as I'm asking this question, Jeff Goldblum, and everyone can picture Jeff Goldblum right now, in total Jeff Goldblum mode, is leaning over in his seat, elbows on his knees, and he's leaning in and he says, yes, 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 yes. And he's looking right at Bill Pullman. I mean, he is like nose to nose with Bill Pullman at this point wanting to hear his answer, just mesmerized by the question and then what Bill Pullman is going to say to this answer. And he's, he's, I just really want to get into your process. I really want to know exactly what's happening. Ask him this. It was one of the most amazing moments. And hearing those guys, so Goldblum is from the Pittsburgh area, big Steelers fan, and then Bill Pullman's from Buffalo. So we talked about his family having Buffalo Bill season tickets. So we actually got to talk football with those guys. Those are the moments, Jimmy, that I pinch myself that I get to do this for a living. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Uh, Chad, man, I, I appreciate you so much taking the time to do this. I did not plug Chit Chat at the beginning. I apologize for that. Um, that podcast that you can get anywhere you get your podcast, uh, that's been great. Um, how, how much fun has that been to do? It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's one of those things also where I just get to sit down with people that interest me in all walks of life and uh, from former Mayor Megan Barry to Keith Bullock to Jonathan Hutton in the latest episode. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Demetria Kaladimos, talking to her, someone I grew up watching on, on News Channel 4. It, it's been fun. I'm always looking for ideas for good guests. So if uh, anyone has them, please uh, let me know. Hit me up at Withrow Zone. But that's, that's certainly been fun, and you can, you can subscribe to that wherever – Wherever you subscribe to Home Run Throwback, you can, you can do it there as well. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that plug. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. All right. So that was Chad Withrow, like he said, at Withrow Zone, Midday 180, TN High School Football, Chit Chad. Check all those things out. A lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, this has been Home Run Throwback, uh, part of Broadway Sports Media. If you have not checked out our new site already, please go ahead and do that. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on there. Uh, a lot of Titan stuff, obviously. But National Predators, National SC, we're going to have all that stuff covered. Uh, got some, some promotions going on there if you sign up for membership now, so check that out. Uh, for Chad Withrow, this is Jimmy Morris saying thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you again later.